Our scripture this morning is from Jeremiah, from which book Jim has been preaching, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. I'll ask God to teach us first. Father, thank you for your word, for your word written, what we have before us. Help us to listen and to hear. Speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The word of the Lord. Last December, the New York Times published an article about a charitable organization called RIP Medical Debt, which purchases bundles of past due medical bills and forgives them to help those in need. These are medical debts that have been sold and resold to collection agencies uh, in these huge bundles, uh, usually for pennies on the dollar. The bills have uh, typically passed through several collection agencies and, and months or, or years of collections. The two men who founded RIP Medical Debt in 2014 were themselves debt collectors who realized that millions of people were being crushed by these debts that they could not pay. So they flipped their mindset and decided to start buying up the debts, not to collect on them, but to forgive them. The people who've been selected uh, without their knowledge, they receive this debt relief as, as a tax-free gift, and it, it comes off their credit reports. One of the founders said, I like doing this much more than I like doing collecting. I do like the idea that people do not have to ask for help. The random act of kindness is kind of a cool thing. Yes, kind of a cool thing. Uh, the article in the, in the Times tells about two women who heard about this project, and they raised $12,500 and sent it into the charity, which then purchased a portfolio of $1.5 million in medical debts on their behalf and paid them off. What an amazing project. I, I tell this story of RIP medical debt because I think it's a beautiful analogy for the message of Jeremiah that we've been studying over these past months. Uh, we've heard Jeremiah announce a message of truth and grace. The, the truth is that Israel and Judah, God's people, are spiritually and morally bankrupt. The, the grace is that the Lord will pay their debt, forgive them, and bring them back from exile. In this final text today, we're going to look at, uh, uh, from Jeremiah, we, we hear both these notes of grace and truth. But 
But all the emphasis is on the grace in what Jeremiah calls the, the new covenant. Now, the language of covenant here is important. A covenant is an agreement between two people or groups, like an agreement between a hospital and a, and a patient to receive medical services in exchange for a payment. In the, in the biblical story, after Israel's exodus from Egypt, God brought them to Mount Sinai, where God and these people entered into a covenant together with Moses as the mediator going up and down the mountain. The Lord would be their God and bring them into a life of flourishing in, in the promised land. And in exchange, the people promised to be faithful to him, to love him, to obey his commands, like in the, the Ten Commandments. Of course, the covenant was almost immediately broken when the people worshipped the golden calf, uh, but God was faithful. He kept covenant with them, and he continued to be faithful, even though they continued throughout their history to worship other gods and fail to live in peace and justice. As we've seen in Jeremiah, at some point, the, the covenant was just completely shattered. Uh, Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem. The people were sent into exile. And the question that has been hanging over the entire book is, what happens now? Jeremiah's answer is clear in this chapter. The Lord will make a new covenant. So let's talk about this. Three points today. The, the need for a new covenant, the newness of the new covenant, and the nowness of the new covenant. Had to get my alliteration in there. The, the need for a new covenant, the, the newness of the new covenant, and the nowness of the new covenant. First, why is there a need for a new covenant? We've spent a lot of time on this over the past week, so I'll be brief today. A, a new covenant is needed because the old covenant is broken. But, but we see something here in verse 32 that is important for us always to keep in mind as we think about what human brokenness means in relationship to God. The Lord says that the new covenant will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. That last part is really important because it reminds us that for God, keeping covenant was never a matter of just obeying an arbitrary set of rules. It was about a relationship. A relationship that's characterized, as we've seen in Jeremiah, uh, like that between a bride and a bridegroom, a, a father and a son, a husband and a wife. The, the, the broken covenant is a broken relationship. I'm a leader in uh, my son's Cub Scout pack, and a couple months ago, I agreed to lead for the den uh, the activities related to the, the fitness and exercise badge. I have no idea how this happened. I'm the worst possible person to lead an exercise badge, but somehow I ended up doing that. And, and so I, I read up on the subject, and I studied... I studied our scout book, and, and it said that one of the things that you could do is create an obstacle course for the kids to run through. 
And so that's what we did. We went to a gym, and I just randomly created this obstacle course. You know, jump over this, and you're going to roll over that, climb on top of this, and we're going to cheer you on, and, you know, whoever does it fastest is going to win. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this because I think this is how we sometimes think about rules in the Bible, that God is just interested in seeing how we jump through uh, some set of hoops that he's jumped up, that he's, that he's put together. The, the, the rules are, are arbitrary. But the Bible doesn't give us uh, a God who set up a moral obstacle course uh, for people. The biblical picture is of a God who is generous, who is loving. He's the kind creator who loves his creatures. And the only rules he gives are those that will lead to our flourishing and our wholeness. Our problem is not just that we disobey the rules, but that we don't trust the Creator. Theologian Matthew Bolton offers this illustration. He says we're like a, like a thief who has robbed and injured a woman on the street, you know, maybe snatching her purse, and then finds out that the woman is his own loving mother. He says, she has always cared kindly and generously for him, and now he has returned her grace with disgrace. Shame compounds shame. The more clearly he examines what he has done, the more convinced he becomes that he no longer deserves to be called her son. Think about the experience of this thief when he realizes that the woman that he has hurt is his own mother. He realizes that he has not just broken the law, he's broken a relationship. This is what the Lord is getting at when he says, they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is why a new covenant is needed. If this is the case, what next? How will God respond to this situation? Will he just walk away from his faithless people? Is the covenant destroyed forever? Jeremiah 31 gives the answer. Yes, the covenant is broken, but that hard truth does not negate God's grace. In fact, the more honest you are about the problem, the brighter the grace and mercy of God shines. When you admit that you're uh, more broken than you may have realized, you're also in a position to see that you are more loved by God than you ever imagined. The Lord says, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. But this one will be different. The Lord says he will do three things. First, I will put my law in their minds, literally, within them. I will put my law within them. Second, I will be their God and they will all know me. And third, I will forgive them. Let's look at each one of these because they each show the depth of God's commitment to rescue and restore his people. First, the Lord promises to put his law within them, to to write it on their hearts so that they actually want what God wants. We've seen that our, our deepest problem is that our heart's are so often they're cold towards God. We don't naturally love and and trust him. 
we go about our daily lives, lives as, as if God didn't exist. And usually that's just fine with us. The, the Lord's promise is that the law will no longer be this external thing that we're trying to achieve. He will put it within us. What previously looked like just jumping through hoops becomes a path of life and joy. This is grace, friends. God gives what he commands. When you believe this, you don't have to be afraid of what God might ask of you. You can say to God, ask anything of me and please give me the grace to obey. St. Augustine prayed this way, Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. Second, the Lord promises to firmly establish his relationship with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. To know someone in Hebrew is not uh, an abstract knowledge about someone. It's not knowing about someone. It's knowing the person. It's an intimate, personal, loving knowledge like that between friends or spouses. And we've seen that what sin does is uh, not only twist our attitudes or, or our actions, the worst thing that it does is it twists our view of God so that we see him as, as distant or authoritarian or unloving. This is what God says will be healed. I will be their God and they will be my people. When we know God truly, we know him as a father who loves his children and will do anything for them. Third, as a loving father, the Lord promises forgiveness Forgiveness for the past, the present, the future. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The Lord forgives their debt so that they may start fresh on a new foundation of grace. Notice the little word at the beginning of this sentence about forgiveness. It's the word key in Hebrew that means for or because. God does not ignore the past or or sweep the broken pieces of the covenant under the carpet. He forgives. And this is what makes a new relationship possible. A while ago, I heard a story on the NPR program StoryCorps about a woman named Mary Johnson who forgave her son's murderer. On February 12, 1993, at a party in Minneapolis, her son was shot and killed by 16-year-old Oshea Israel. After being arrested and tried, for this senseless murder, he received a 25-year sentence. And understandably, Mary Johnson was devastated. She said, At the trial, I hated O'Shea. I thought he was an animal and he deserved to be caged. I was so angry when when the judge charged him with second-degree murder instead of first-degree. I became a recluse and I couldn't look at my son's photos. But then... After 10 years, something began to change in her. She said, After so many years, I knew, as a Christian woman, I had to forgive him. So she made plans to go and see O'Shea in prison. 
Before the visit, I prayed and went on a 21-day fast. We talked for two hours, and I realized the similarities O'Shea shared with my son. He wasn't a boy anymore. I was talking to a man now. I told him I forgave him and that I let you go. It was over. As I was leaving, he asked to give me a hug. I cried and started to fall, but he held me up. I felt something move up my body. All of the hatred and the bitterness left my body. On the foundation of this profound act of forgiveness, Mary and O'Shea stepped into a new relationship. After 17 years in prison, O'Shea was paroled in 2010. And now the two of them speak together in communities about forgiveness. They, they actually live next door to each other, and they see each other almost every day. O'Shea says, she'll fuss if I don't call, and I take out her trash. And Mary concluded the interview uh, with these words. Some people think I'm psychotic for doing this, but I view us as mother and son. I wear a locket. One side has a picture of me and my son. The other side has O'Shea. There, there's no act. What makes a story like this possible? The Christian says that we can forgive generously and freely because there is a God who has forgiven us our sins first. In the gospel, you are invited to believe that around God's neck is a locket like Mary Johnson's. One side has a picture of his son, and the other side has your picture. This is the new covenant reality that God has brought now through the person and work of Jesus. In my introduction today, I talked about the charity that pays off medical debts. When that happens for a person, they receive a yellow letter in the mail that makes the announcement. Your back due $50,000 debt for surgery or for cancer treatment has been forgiven. And even if you throw out uh, that yellow letter by mistake, your debt is still forgiven. You just might not know it until the next time you run your credit report. The thing is, it's free for you, but someone else paid the cost. A hospital or a doctor absorbed the cost for treatment, and then someone else paid to buy the debt from a collection agency. This is what God has done in Christ. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do you hear what he's saying? Jesus is inaugurating the new covenant by paying the debt himself. He absorbs the cost for our rebellion. He receives what we deserve for our disobedience, and we receive the eternal life that he deserves. When you see God's love in Christ, it's powerful. It begins to change you from the inside out, your attitudes and your, your relationships. 
You become capable of doing things that you would have thought impossible before. Forgiving those who have wronged you. Loving others when you get nothing in return. How does this happen? Some of you may be familiar with a photography project by the photographer Brandon Stanton called Humans of New York. He takes street uh, portraits of people, originally in New York, but now all over the world, and you get a snapshot of the person's story that he's photographing. It's always interesting and, and sometimes very powerful. This week, there was the story of a man who said that he was at work one day when his wife texted him. The, the first text said, I'm pregnant. The second one said, it's twins. He says he, he wasn't ready because he didn't have a, a model for fatherhood in his own life. Uh, but the babies were born, uh, they were born three months premature, and, and the first months were just terrible. They were sleeping two hours a night, he was going to work. He said, over time, things have gotten easier, as the kids have gotten older, but he's never really felt like a dad. Listen to what he said. I never felt like a dad. I just felt like some figure they called dad. It somehow felt like my wife was their mom, and I was just there for support. I felt like a babysitter, like I was watching someone else's kids. I never knew what a dad was supposed to be like. It wasn't in me. I didn't know how to show it. I took care of them. I loved them, but I didn't really hug or kiss them. I wasn't comfortable with it, probably because it was never done to me. But I'm different now. I hug and kiss them every night. But that's because they taught me. They'd come up to me and say, Daddy, I love you. And they'd hug me and kiss me. So that's what I do now. But it didn't come from me. Everything came from them. See, this is how the love of God works and why it's so powerful to change us. It doesn't come from us. Everything comes from him. When you know the generosity of the love of God for you, you want to be more generous yourself. When you see the sacrifice in the love of Christ for you on the cross, you become more willing to sacrifice for others. When you experience the commitment of his love, you, you learn what it means to be committed to others. Your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. In John 17, Jesus prayed to the Father on behalf of his disciples. I'm going to close with these words. He said, he prayed, I have made you, Father, known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus says that the Father's love is in us. And what's more, Jesus himself is in us, giving us love for the lost, enabling us to forgive our enemies and our friends, teaching us to be people of mercy and grace. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Lord, command what you will, 
and grant what you command. We come before you today with an open acknowledgement of our weakness, our failure to love, our our self-centeredness. Thank you that you have not left us to yourselves. Uh, You have been gracious and kind, forgiving our debts, changing our hearts. We receive your love today and pray that you would continue to change us. May we truly embody the gospel uh, here at Geneva, and may we be a light shining for grace and truth in this city. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.